the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. Uh, My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands, Tea Party Patriots, as well as the Unite, i.e. coalition of conservative and patriot groups in the Inland Empire of Southern California, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving, America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great free and prosperous. And if that doesn't say extremism and white supremacy, yeah, I, I don't know what does. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome back to the show and is able to get him on short notice because the kind of breaking news this week is uh, Ken Timmerman. Uh, he is an investigative reporter specializing in national security, particularly in the Middle East. He was on Donald Trump's um, advisory board for national security and foreign policy. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for his work exposing the Iranian nuclear program. We're going to be talking about that in his most recent article on that subject in, in, today, in this week's show. And he was uh, aiding the victims of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and suing Iran not Iraq, Iran, for its role in the attack, in the attacks. Author of many books, including uh, Dark Forces, The Truth About What Happened in Benghazi, Countdown to Crisis, The Coming Nuclear Showdown with Iran, Election Heist, which was a novel, but um, was remarkably prescient about what happened in the 2020 election. And his most recent book, and the rest is history, Tales of Hostages, well, which he was one at one point, arms dealers, dirty tricks, and spies. But enough about the CIA. <laughs> so welcome to the welcome to the show, Ken. And I get the the, the, the our number one topic and the reason why I reached out to you this week and see if it could be on the show was the 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 report that came out from Seymour Hirsch, who's a longtime investigative reporter, left wing guy, but as best I can tell, has a has a track record for breaking true stories about what the American national security establishment has been up to. Wrote a lengthy article on his Substack this week detailing how the United States government destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. Um, I think it was I think it was last year. It was carrying natural gas from Russia to to Germany. So like, like, that, that's that been widely suspected. Tucker Carlson has said that he believes that, that, that the American government was behind it. And uh, I get this is further uh, confirmation. Did you read the article? And what do you think about it? Well, Greg, thanks for having me on. And yes, I did read the article. I know Cy Hirsch. I've met him many, many years ago when we were both working on uh, Iraq and WMD in, in Iraq and and other related issues uh, involving nuclear weapons in the Middle East. And and I don't know how to evaluate his article. Uh, frankly, there is not a single named source in it. Uh, they are all unnamed sources. They're all inferences. They are all conclusions that he draws from the existence of this uh, uh, underwater, uh, you know, diving uh, training, uh, dive training center. And uh, I really don't know what to make of it. Uh, what I can say uh, just logically looking at the rationale of what happened, uh, it certainly makes more sense for the United States to blow up the pipe- pipeline or a U.S. ally to have blown up the pipeline than it does for Russia. Uh, the Russians built the pipeline, uh, both of them. So there's Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Both of them are now inoperable. Uh, there's about a 50-meter gash <laughs> on the seafloor that used to be pipeline that now you know, the Russians had to shut it off, but was blowing out natural gas uh, uh, into the atmosphere. Uh, very bad for global warming, by the way, if we did it. Terrible, terrible thing. Uh, a climate crime, a climate crime. But look, uh, why would the Russians want what, to... Where's Greta Thunberg when we need her? 
Yes. Why, why would the Russians want to blow up their own pipeline that they financed to the tune of you know many, many billions of dollars and they built for the express purpose of exerting political leverage and economic leverage over the Germans and over the, the Europeans in general, the West Europeans? Why would they do that? Why would they voluntarily give up that kind of leverage? The pipeline was shut down. Uh, they shut it down themselves, they said, for maintenance. Uh, a couple of months before the attack occurred, they could have just kept it shut down or opened it when they wanted to, when the Germans decided that the winter was too cold and their houses were freezing and uh, their economy was you know, r- reaching a standstill because they had no replacement sources of natural gas. So the notion that the Russians would have blown it up, which is, by the way, what the U.S. government was trying to say through the national media here for uh, you know weeks, I shouldn't say weeks, for the week after the attacks, which was all that they ever discussed it, right? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. But from there to say that the U.S. did, uh, logical, but I don't see a single named source. I think it is absolutely worth worthwhile a congressional investigation. I think Congress absolutely should investigate. It's a proper tub- subject for them to investigate. And you have these statements uh, from administration officials, Biden administration officials, warning the Russians that they might blow it up. Well, and now that you mentioned that, we have we actually have the clips ready to go. And let's hear from his fraudulency, um, President Brandon, back in February of 2022. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring an end to it. But but how will you how will you do that exactly? Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control, we will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. And uh, to add to that, we have uh, Brandon's Undersecretary of State, Victoria Newland, from January of 2022. Um, with regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Those are yeah. pretty clear statements, Greg. And and you in in poker you'd call and, it a, te- a tell. Yeah. Well, in in uh, in uh, on the street you call it a threat. <laughs> correct. Absolutely correct. So so that certainly yeah. weighs in favor. And, you know, that's that a nice weighs- pipeline you got there. You wouldn't want anything to happen. Right. That that weighs in favor of a U.S. attack on the pipelines. Do it uh, now, would you? Yeah. Yeah. A- a- absolutely. Yes. When I post for this week's show, I will include a link to Seymour Hersh's article detailing how the U.S. supposedly, according to Mr. Hersh, carried out the attack. Under the cover of annual NATO naval war games in the Baltic, which they have been holding for many years, they put the news on the, the, on the pipeline, with coincidence there, and according to the article, a Norwegian reconnaissance point, a P-8 Orion, dropped the sonar buoy that triggered the explosion. And to add to that, Great Way Pundit reported that there's this guy that tracks military flights just to track them. And he, uh, they tracked a, a Norwegian P-8 Orion that flew out of Poland over the area in question back to Norway shortly before the pipeline was blown up. Yeah. This this begs a congressional investigation. This absolutely requires a congressional investigation to get at facts. Uh, what you have here is a modus operandi. You have the way that it could have happened. You have breadcrumbs, if you wish, uh, f- from what if there was an attack leading to that attack. But we do not have a hard confirmation. We do not have sources. Uh, but Congress needs to investigate this. It is, by the way. If it turns out that the U.S. government ordered this attack or carried out this attack or was involved in the attack in any way, it is a, it is a, uh, uh, it's a it's an act of war. 
Uh, it's a act of international piracy as well. And frankly, it's the kind of thing where uh, foreign governments, including the Germans and the Russians, can demand reparations of the United States, uh, financial reparations and punishment uh, in, in various international organizations. So it really is an extraordinary uh, uh, act that um, I, I certainly hope was not carried out by the U.S. government, but I really don't know who else could have done it. Right. And I was long suspected maybe, well, maybe the U.S. didn't really do it itself, its own, own personnel, but used someone else. The, you know, you was, last time on the show, you suggested the Dutch had the capability. I read an article that the French had the capability. Right. Maybe the, maybe the Brits had that capability, but it was someone with, you know, at least with a nod, nod, nod and a wink from the U.S. government, if not carrying it out directly. And you have to wonder what the Russians are going to do. This was, what would we do? If it was, we discovered that the Russians had destroyed one of our pipelines or undersea communication cables or offshore oil rigs or what have you. Yeah. You're, and you're right. It is a, it is an act of war escalation from just not merely aiding the Ukrainians in their war with Russia, but to direct attack by NATO or in this case, presumably American military on property and infrastructure of a foreign country. Right. And, and I, I've got to say, uh, there, there, are, there are a couple of incontournable facts, some facts that you just can't get around in this war. The first, of course, is that Russia invaded a sovereign country. Okay. You can't get around that. That's happened. It is a fact. Uh, but why did Russia invade a sovereign country? And how long did they have that sovereignty? And was there provocation there? And the uh, the, the the fact that NATO has been going into Ukraine since the Russian occupation of Crimea in 2014 in a big way, clearly crossing a red line that the Russians have drawn, uh, is uh, without a doubt a provocation. Why did we have to do that? Uh, Ukraine was a buffer state. Uh, they had, were a buffer state uh, that was guaranteed under the Minsk Accords uh, signed by the U.S., Britain, and Russia in 1993 that guaranteed uh, Ukraine sovereignty. We were the guarantors that they would not be invaded by other countries, but the Russians were as well. Uh, in exchange for that, they gave up their nuclear weapons, sent back all of the Soviet-era nuclear weapons uh, back to Russia and dismantled the, the uh, production capabilities for nuclear weapons. The Minsk Accords have been you know, torn into shreds. Uh, they also uh, called for uh, autonomous regions in the east, eastern part of Ukraine, recognizing that those Russian-speaking regions had affinities with Russia, more than with Kiev, perhaps. But they asserted that those autonomous regions would still have elected members to the Ukrainian parliament and be under Ukrainian sovereignty. So the Minsk Accords were not uh, agreements that were unfavorable to Ukraine and one-sided in favor of Russia. But NATO has torn them up. And, and now we are really on a very slippery slope of escalation. Um, and uh, this war has just, you know, it, it, is, uh, it, it is an affront to civilization frankly. Well, it seems that the, uh, at least to me, that the U.S. government has adopted, has adopted or what Orwell said, that war is not meant to be won, it's meant to be permanent. Yeah. Well, and with that, let's hear from our sponsor for this half of United IE Radio, United American Mortgage and Ed Hoffman, the place to go for your real estate lending needs. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you've heard my show, The Main Event, or read my book, Experience Matters, Here's Mine, then you know that I think like you do, and that's what you want when you're looking for someone to advise you on real estate financing. Whether you're thinking of financing a piece of property you'd like to own, or refinancing a piece of property you already own, or if you or your spouse are over 62 and you'd like to find out more about that reverse mortgage thing that everyone is talking about, and whether that property is in California or another state where you'd like to go to escape California, I can help you find the solution that's right for you and in step with your short-term and long-term plans. Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 
650-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free area code 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman and MLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation and MLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We often say, well, you want little things like secure borders, fiscal responsibility, honest elections. But maybe it's we're talking about today the most recent developments in the Russia-Ukraine war and the news that uh, by a longtime investigative reporter that very detailed fashion laid out how, according to the article, by Seymour Hirsch, that the United States government, through its own military, carried out the bombing and destruction of the Nord Stream gas pipeline that runs from through the Baltic Sea from Russia to to Germany, and uh, maybe want to avoid a nuclear war because we, if that's true, we carried out an act of war. I start government, not we. The United States federal government carried out an act of war and attacked the country in the world with the most nuclear weapons of any country. Um, there's also we played a couple of clips of President of His Fraudulency, President Brandon, and uh, his uh, Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland, in very clear fashion, threatening to take out the Nord Stream pipeline if Russia attacked Ukraine. And sure enough, both of, both of those things happened. Is that here's a here's a statement by from last year by Senate Minority Leader. Mitch McConnell talking about just how important Ukraine is. Making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. That's sort of how we see the... Challenges confronting uh, the country at the moment. Is there a single Republican voter in, in his home state of Kentucky who doesn't work for Mitch McConnell that agrees with that statement? <laughs> Look, Greg, I think what's extraordinary there is that uh, most Americans would say, uh, well, wait a second, how about securing our own border? How about preventing the invasion of the United States of America from our southern border by people who do not necessarily? Uh, want to become U.S. citizens who do not necessarily admire our system or who are coming here as grifters. They're hoping to get the social benefits uh, and handouts, or they may be actually coming here to uh, carry out acts of violence against Americans or against the United States government. I think it's just incredibly one-sided. Look, now that the war in Ukraine is on, the U.S. is having problems supplying the Ukrainian government. not too long ago, Greg, the defense strategy of our country used to be to carry out two and a half conventional wars, regional conflicts at the same time. We are not able today to supply a, an actor in a proxy regional conflict at a single time. We are behind on our supplies to South Korea and to Taiwan. We're two years behind uh, existing arms contracts with them. We can't deliver because we're the defense industrial base has been so degraded, and uh, we have pretty much run out of HIMARS to send to Ukraine. Uh, the tanks, we can't get American Abrams tanks over there for six months because we have to essentially take tanks out of our own fighting units, strip them of the active armor, not the uh, reactive armor, but the certain active uh, systems that we have that uh, defend those tanks against incoming missiles and downgrade the electronics before we can ship them out. We don't have a lot of spare stuff. The Russians have over 10,000 tanks in um, uh, mothballed, essentially, from the old Soviet era. We don't have those tanks. Now, it takes the Russians a while to get them back operational, for sure, and many of them will never become operational. But my point is, if the war in Ukraine escalates and becomes a true NATO-Russia confrontation. Right now, it is a NATO-Russia confrontation through proxy. NATO does not have our forces on the ground inside Ukraine. 
But should that occur or should the Russians decide to attack the supply lines of Ukraine in Poland or in Romania or elsewhere, NATO countries all, and this evolves into a NATO-Russia conflict, World War III. I am not convinced at all that we have the defense industrial base to be able to support that conflict. Well, no, it's, it's, it, America's a very different country uh, just in that respect than it was back in World War II where we were the uh, arsenal of democracy. And I remember just one stat from that time that this during World War II, the U.S. city of Pittsburgh, just, just the city, not the whole rest, of, not the entire capacity of the country, produced more steel than Germany and Japan combined. Uh, and those Greg, days are long gone. Yes, but Greg, that was also by 1942. In the first two years, uh, in 1940, 1941, until Pearl Harbor, we had not yet ramped up that manufacturing capability, and we had very little uh, at that point. At the end of the war, uh, by the end of the war, we had produced something like 180 aircraft carriers. The uh, Japanese had produced 18. Uh, so it was really uh, just the industrial might of the United States harnessed by the federal government, but also allowing the private industry to compete on contracts and to accept the risks in exchange for payment for, for a you know, uh, cost plus profit uh, type of contract. That was the arsenal of democracy uh, that was stood up in World War II in, a, in an ironic way against the wishes of the New Dealers in Washington. We don't have that today. And that's what it would require should this war in Ukraine really become a NATO-Russia conflict. Yeah. In, another, in the last week, there was also didn't get as much attention as the Seymour Hersh article on blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. But there was an article about, uh, reporting that the former prime minister of Israel, I forget the man's name, before uh, Netanyahu came back, said that uh, it was NATO, U.S. and NATO countries blocked and vetoed a ceasefire in the war early on. Yeah, not totally. And there have been other reports that it was our side that, that has prevented reaching a peace settlement after you discussed earlier. We really pushed the war by pushing gradual NATO membership for Ukraine, which was something that the Russians considered to be unacceptable. Right. So so war is politics by other means. Right. Uh, that's the way Clausewitz has described it. I think that is probably the most accurate description of war. War is politics by other means. So where are the politics? Well, there haven't been any politics in this conflict. The United States single single handedly has refused to negotiate. The Russians have made it clear that they don't really want to talk to the Ukrainians. They want to talk to us and we won't talk to them. We have no interest in negotiating uh, the status of Ukraine in NATO or outside of NATO. That is the single most important thing to the Russians. That is the cause of this war. And we won't even talk about it. Uh, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, but we are treating them as if they were a member of NATO. And uh, frankly, it is that uh, stubbornness on the part of this administration that has led to the war that we're in. We have about a minute left. How do you see it playing out from here? I've read some articles that the Russians are preparing a much larger offensive. Um, they, well, they started look, this actual numerical inferiority. How do you how do you see it playing out from this point? Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but uh, you know the Russians have a three to one uh, uh, numerical advantage in terms of manpower, in terms of population. They can replenish their forces. They can lose another 200,000 if they have to on the battlefield. The Ukrainians cannot. If this is a war, if this becomes a slugfest uh, of who is going to lose the most soldiers, and, and by the way, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has, has told Congress recently that the Ukrainians have lost about as many soldiers as the Russians have. So they don't have the manpower to replace it. They certainly don't have the economy to sustain a long war. The longer this war goes on, the worse it will be for Ukraine. And uh, as Tucker has repeatedly said, you know, what, inter- what is the benefit for America and Americans? And unless you're in the defense business, um, that might be hard to see. Um, that's all the time we have in the second segment. Uh, stay tuned for the exciting second half of Unite IE Radio. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you've heard my show, The Main Event, or read my book, Experience Matters, here's mine, then you know that I think like you do, and that's what you want when you're looking for someone to advise you on real estate financing. Whether you're thinking of financing a piece of property you'd like to own 
or refinancing a piece of property you already own. Or if you or your spouse are over 62 and you'd like to find out more about that reverse mortgage thing that everyone is talking about. And whether that property is in California or another state where you'd like to go to Escape California, I can help you find the solution that's right for you and in step with your short-term and long-term plans. Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free area code 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman and MLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation and MLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite, i.e. radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots and the Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great, free, and prosperous. Very pleased this week to have on the show Ken Timmerman. He's an investigative reporter specializing in national security, particularly in the Middle East. Uh, we'll go through his whole bio here, uh, author of numerous books, including Election Heist, which was a novel that recently predicted what happened in the November 2020 election, Countdown to Crisis, The Coming Nuclear Showdown with Iran, Dark Forces, The Truth About What Happened in Benghazi, and uh, Ken's latest book, And the Rest is History, His Story. His autobiography, uh, subtitled Tales of Hostages, Arms Dealers, Dirty Tricks, and Spies. We spent our first half talking about the news this week that a, a longtime investigative reporter, Seymour Hirsch, had written a very detailed story about how the United States military had taken and destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline, which carries used to carry natural gas from Russia to Germany. I'm going to change our focus to back to over to the Middle East. And uh, Ken has written a new article uh, you can find on frontpagemag.com entitled Israel, to strike or not to strike Iran's nuclear sites, why the chances of a hit just notched higher. And uh, this has been a long-time issue, uh, tracked Iran's development of nuclear weapons, and it ties into, we'll talk about it again just in a little bit here, a movie we talked about recently, Grid Down, Power Up, where one of the ways our grid can be destroyed is through a nuclear, one nuclear weapon detonated in space, which would, through its EMP effect, destroy the our entire electrical system for potentially years to come. So, Ken, welcome one. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on this week. And uh, tell us what the latest developments are regarding Israel, Iran, and its nuclear program. Uh, Well, thanks again, uh, and I appreciate being here. And by the way, on EMP, it's something that I've been looking into for the past uh, 20 years. And it is a tremendously significant threat. It's one that the U.S. is not prepared for. And uh, indeed, if we had actually would probably take two warheads, one coming from the East Coast, one coming from the West Coast, uh, detonating uh, somewhere you know, inland from there. And they would take out the entire national power grid and especially those very large transformers. We do not have spares for them. They're manufactured in Germany and South Korea. It would take years to re- to get replacements for them. And that's what would lead to the devastation that we would experience. It wouldn't be nuclear fallout. It would not be uh, actual explosive uh, action. It would be Americans in cities going berserk when they have no food left, no power, no fuel, going out into the countryside and essentially being killed. Uh, The 
commission set up by Congress in, two, in, in 2000 to examine this concluded that um, the population in the United States would go from what it is today, about 350 million, to what it was in the 1880s, about 80 to 90 million people because of in the aftermath of an EMP attack. So this is an incredibly uh, serious, significant uh, danger that we risk, and our government is doing nothing about it. Now, the Iranians, okay, you want to talk about the Iranians. The Iranians have studied EMP. They have written about EMP. They have demonstrated already back in 1998 that I testified on this to the Rumsfeld Commission, what was then called the Rumsfeld Commission, to study the ballistic missile threat to the United States. They had uh, launched a, um, a, a missile from a barge in the Caspian Sea, which is one of the ways that they could launch an EMP uh, attack on the United States. They don't have to use an ICBM. They can put a Scud missile or one of their Shahab missiles on board a tramp steamer, uh, or now on board one of their naval ships. The Iranians now are coming to the Panama Canal with two Navy vessels, a destroyer and a supply ship. Uh, they're going to be docking in Venezuela. They're coming into the Caribbean directly. Uh, so uh, this is a very real and present danger. The article that I wrote this past week in Front Page Mag detailed the uh, recent developments in their nuclear weapons program, which is which are also very, very serious. For years, you know, people have been talking about this. They say, well, Iran is two weeks away. They're six weeks away. They're two years away. It's all and everything and nothing. Uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, which is the so-called watchdog, nuclear watchdog of Iran's programs for years, they've been a toothless watchdog. But nevertheless, they have have had monitoring cameras in the declared nuclear sites. They have been keeping track of nuclear material, in other words, enrichment. They came out and said uh, 10 days ago, the Secretary of General, Raphael Grossi, said publicly that Iran today has enough nuclear material enriched to 60%, that if enriched further, and it's just a little bit further to weapons grade, they could make three to four bombs. Now, that is a threshold capability because they can carry out that additional enrichment in seven to 10 days, seven to 10 days. And uh, the, 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 uh, the issue for Israel is that they can't wait. They can't allow that to happen. For years, for years, Greg, I have uh, tried to talk people down. They say, oh, the Israelis are about to strike. And I said, no, the Israelis have got lots of other capabilities to degrade Iran's nuclear capabilities besides sending in the Air Force. Uh, they can assassinate scientists. Well, you know, they assassinated scientists inside Iran for a number of years, quite successfully. They can uh, introduce viruses into Iran's centrifuge enrichment plants. And lo and behold, they did that at the end of the Bush 43, in the beginning of the Obama administration. And they took down about a third of Iran's enrichment centrifuges at the time, probably set the program back two to three years. Uh, the Iranians since then have been putting their most critical facilities deep underground inside mountains. There are ways that you can bottle up those facilities. You can bottle up the entry so they can never get into them. You don't have to actually uh, launch a deep penetration warhead to get inside the facility itself. You just can you blow to smithereens the entry uh, to it and and the power sources and the water sources uh, and make it very, very difficult for them to ever resurrect that facility. But today, the Iranians have crossed a threshold. And the uh, two other elements that have made me change my analysis, I think the Israelis are now close to a military strike on Iran. I did not believe that a year ago. The two other items that made me change my analysis are a statement by the former head of Iran's uh, naval forces, the chief of naval operations, uh, retired General Eliezer uh, Marom. He's called Chani Marong because of his oriental appearance. And he said, uh, again, about two weeks ago, the time for Israel to attack is now. We cannot wait. Iran is a threshold state. And then the other piece of that, uh, the other shooter drop was that enormous U.S.-Israeli uh, military operation, Juniper Oak. Uh, the biggest one we've ever had. 
Uh, you can just Google that on the internet, Juniper Oak 2023, and you'll see this amazing photograph of a US B-52 off its left wing are US Air Force jets, off its right wing are Israeli Air Force jets flying in Delta formation heading east. Now, if I were the Iranians looking at that, I would be a little bit worried. And what that exercise demonstrated was the interoperability of the US and Israeli Air Force, something that we have not done in previous versions of this exercise. So it was a big deal. It showed that we can fly together, we can plan together, we can attack together, uh, something that would be needed uh, for a successful strike on Iran's nuclear weapons facilities. Now, that was interesting, the, the exercises, because since Obama, the American government has, they, they, Obama did his nuclear agreement with Iran that um, didn't, perhaps it delayed Iran's nuclear program, but it was, uh, as Netanyahu said, that uh, Iran could get nuclear weapons by cheating because it was not verifiable that the, uh, anything that Iran called a military facility was off limits to inspection, or they could get nuclear weapons by complying with the agreement because it'll let them bring in more advanced centrifuges. They had a, a time limit, and Iran would be closer to a nuclear weapon when the agreement ended than it was when the agreement started. So after, and then Brandon's, the Brandon administration has been trying to reinstate that. So it was, it was, it was a little, it was eyebrow raising for me to see the high level of the military exercise you mentioned, Juniper Oak, between Israel and America. So who's, whose side between Israel and Iran is the Brandon administration going to be on? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. And I have uh, asked that for quite some time, also under Obama. Uh, remember, when Obama was president, you were more secure being a mullah in Tehran building a nuclear weapon than you were a Jew in your capital, Jerusalem, building an apartment. Uh, so so uh, uh, the whole question of where will the United States stand in the event of an open conflict between Iran and Israel is a legitimate question to ask. This Juniper Oak exercise, I think, was a um, uh, to me, it was a it was reassuring, I think, to the Israelis. It was reassuring because uh, it was carried out. It's not just the U.S. military. It was carried out by U.S. Central Command. Israel is now in the Central Command uh, area of operations. They used to be in the UCOM in the European uh, Command, but they were they were ch shifted there a number of years ago. Uh, makes a lot more sense. So they are now operating side by side with the Jordanians, with the Saudis, with the Emiratis, right uh, in the uh, uh, in, in CENTCOM, and uh, all of those countries that used to be sworn enemies of Israel today, with the exception of Saudi Arabia have signed peace treaties with them. And the Saudis, uh, though they have not signed a peace treaty, they are certainly clearly much more on Israel's side in that conflict to come with Iran than they ever would be with Iran. They feel threatened by an Iranian nuclear weapon and by the Iranian regime. So you have a coalescing of forces in the Middle East, which uh, as long as the, uh, this current administration does not block it, does not stymie them from cooperating, uh, could be very potent and very effective against the Iranian regime. My fear is that Biden and his ilk are so much in love with the mullahs that they might actually pull the rug out from under the Israelis. Yeah, uh, I share your concern is, is instead of helping expressly or tacitly, that they might actually sabotage the, an, an Israeli attack on Iran's nuclear program. Yes, that, that, that is my fear. And and uh, look, we'll see how this plays out. Netanyahu is not shy. Uh, he has been drawing up plans uh, as prime minister in you know previous terms as prime minister to attack Iran. They reportedly, the Israelis have reportedly spent over a billion dollars rehearsing uh, airstrikes on Iran over the past six to eight years. So this is something very, very real. And the fact that Iran is now, the, Iran, the Iranian regime has now become a threshold nuclear state, that they could cross that threshold in anywhere from seven to 10 days, uh, is just, it's just the type of existential threat no Israeli prime minister can allow to continue.
And <clears throat> no American president should allow it to be continued either, because uh, uh, unlike other nuclear powers who have an interest in living, even if they're evil, uh, Kim Jong-un does not want to die. He does not want his country destroyed in a retaliatory attack. But with Iran and the mullahs, they may view, be, you know, they may be perfectly willing to be martyrs for the cause of Allah to take out Israel and America, who they call the great Satan. You know, I, I wrote in my 2005 book, Countdown to Crisis, The Coming Nuclear Showdown with Iran. Uh, I, I quoted Rafsanjani, who at that time was the president, and he said that uh, uh, a war, a nuclear war with Israel, yes, it is feasible. Millions in the world of Islam would die, but Israel would cease to exist. So they have this way of looking at a nuclear exchange with Israel that I think would be absolutely abhorrent to most of us in the United States or in the West. They view it as something that's entirely feasible. They can envisage it. They can imagine it. They can live with it. And oh, by the way, uh, the top mullahs in Tehran, they all have deep bunkers that they can hide in. Yes. And just to, to close out this discussion, we'll pass time for our commercial break is we wouldn't necessarily know who did it. Because, as you mentioned, this could be launched from some uh, unknown uh, freighter with multiple registrations that we don't know who really owns it and off the United States coast. And you wouldn't necessarily know who did it. All, all of a sudden, the lights go out. And, well, was it North Korea? Was it Russia? Was it China? Was it Iran? Was it Pakistan? Was it somebody who managed to purchase uh, nuclear weapons on the black market? We wouldn't know. So Iran might figure that they can disguise the attack and escape retaliation altogether. Yeah. Without going into the technology of this, because it is important, uh, I could see the Brandon administration trying to lay the blame on Russia and going to war with Russia. That would be an absolute catastrophe. And boy, I bet you the Iranians would just be chuckling in their boots. Yep. Uh, And with that, let's hear from our sponsor, All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident, because they are truly the kings of wreck and roll. Back after this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite, i.e. Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Redlands Tea Party Patriots, Unite IE Coalition. We're very pleased to have on the show this week Ken Timmerman, who is a longtime investigative reporter specializing in national security and particularly the Middle East, written many books. Um, his most recent one, we'll give him a chance to talk about it, is his own story, his autobiography entitled, And the Rest is History, Tales of Hostages, Arms Dealers, Dirty Tricks, and Spies. And... Um, Part of your story, not included in the title of that book, is you're going from a leftist, I think atheist reporter, to a conservative patriotic Christian. So, <laughs> yeah, to tell, you know, tell us, you know, you got a few minutes here. Let's tell, tell us you know, kind of the highlights of, uh, of your book and your story. Yeah, it's funny. If you look at that book, there's a, just look at the cover of that book, and there, and you can see it's it was it's the story of a transformation. How I go from that guy in the top, the bearded, uh, pot smoking, philandering, anti-Israel fellow traveler, to become this conservative, born again Christian Zionist. Uh, and and you know, it doesn't happen to an awful lot of people, and it certainly doesn't happen to many of them in the way it happened to me. It began for me. That journey began for me uh, in Beirut in 1982. When I go as a uh, young reporter, pro-Palestinian, I'm going to embed with a Palestinian NGO in West Beirut and tell the story of the little people, how they're getting their lives destroyed, these innocent civilians, by the horrible Israelis who are invading Lebanon. Well, uh, I had letters of introduction from Palestinian diplomats and the whole nine yards, and I get there, and 
the Palestinians kidnap me and take me hostage. <laughs> and then they call me an Israeli spy and they treat me as an Israeli spy, uh, torturing me and keeping me in an underground cell for 24 days uh, when we are getting bombed day and night uh, by the Israelis, by land, air, and by sea. Uh, it was an experience that, uh, you know, where I grew up, uh, for sure. Uh, I lost those illusions that I had come to Lebanon with. Uh, I also came back to my Christian faith, uh, was born again in that cell uh, underground uh, as a Christian, it changed my life forever. And I learned things about the Palestinians I never thought I would learn. And I learned things about myself I never thought I would learn. Uh, I, I discovered that freedom was the single most important thing to me. And I was ready to kill somebody to gain my freedom back. Kill somebody. It was something I never expected uh, to believe or to think or to be able to carry out. Uh, but that's how much it changed me. Uh, in the end, I you know, got out, uh, I say to people, by the grace of God, because there's no logical explanation for how I got out of there. Uh, they just uh, came in when all of the so-called officers had left. The Israelis were marching into Beirut at that point in August of 1982. And uh, a, a man came in and said, are there any French people here? And well, I knew that there were two Frenchmen there elsewhere in another cell in that prison. And they belong there. They were planting mines to blow up the Palestinians and they got caught. So they were lucky to still be alive. And I said, well, either they're going to take these guys out and shoot them or there's been some kind of deal and they really are going to release them. Because I knew that the French government had good relations with the PLO. And I flipped that coin in my head and I said, look, if I stay here, I'm going to die. Uh, the building is collapsing on top of my head. And I described that pretty graphically uh, in the book. And uh, so I went with them. And uh, ultimately, we were released. But I think it's a little bit like St. Peter in the prison. You know, we were released by angels, uh, by the grace of God. Yeah, as there was, you, you're, you, know, you flip the coin in your head, which, 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 and you didn't know which way that, which way gets you out, or, or do you, do they, they take you out and shoot you, or they take you out and release you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But I knew if I stayed, I would die. So that was that was the one thing really motivating it is that I knew if I stayed, I would die because either the, the teenagers with the AK-47s would kill me or I would be buried alive in the rubble of the building. Uh, I went, you know, it's funny because I, I kept on going back to Beirut. Some people would have just given up and gone home and and uh, so, OK, enough of that. I'm not going to become a war correspondent. Well, I kept coming back. And I came back to Egypt. I worked there for, for uh, four months uh, the following year uh, in a hospital, helping to build a hospital while I was doing reporting trips on the side. Uh, I was up in Beirut in April of 1983 when the U.S. Embassy was blown up by, as it turned out, Iranian terrorists. I was back in Beirut again in uh, October, just before the attack on the U.S. Marines and just after the attack on the U.S. Marines. Uh, I described those battles uh, and, and, and others in this book and the rest is history. Uh, I also give a kind of insider's account on the beginnings of the Iran Contra scandal, because uh, I got involved with a group of former military officers and CIA uh, officers uh, in Paris and in Washington who were part of what they called a strategic initiative uh, to open doors uh, to the Iranian regime. This is in 1984-85, well before Iran Contra. Uh, well, as it turned out, <laughs> they, they were also, of course, trying to sell weapons to the Iranians. And I give you a really, really uh, unusual, unique uh, view into how that whole arms dealing operation uh, worked behind the scenes and the intelligence behind it. Anyhow, there are a lot of these inside stories, uh, many stories in Baghdad where I got to know every arms dealer uh, selling weapons to Saddam Hussein. Uh, got to know the top people in his government who were building the nuclear weapons and the chemical weapons. So I could say authoritatively, uh, Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Uh, could I talk to the people who were making them? <laughs> and I got to know their suppliers. I went to some of the factories of their suppliers in Western Europe. Um, so there's a lot of uh, information in the book, but also there's this story of the transformation, how over time I began to understand 
uh, first of all, my life as a Christian, how important the, uh, you know, my faith was to me, but also how important was the truth and the pursuit of truth. Uh, and I tell the, the, the final story in the book is the death of the media in America in 1994, and it was all over China. Uh, and that's when the national media lost any hope of being mainstream and began to tell a narrative, a political narrative, became the, uh, uh, really the communications directorate of the Democrat National Committee. Uh, very briefly here, we're almost out of time. Um, we, we went out to dinner and we, you have, you, you're just, you're always an optimistic and a cheerful person, even though we're talking about things like possible nuclear war with Russia, popular possible war with Iran. We haven't talked about China yet. Um, really serious things that are going on in the world and in our country. And you're always positive. He said, well, you know, um, I love my wife and I know where I'm going. And I know where I'm going. I've been saved. <laughs> and if you got those two things, Greg, life is good. God is great. As I say, Jesus is not a Muslim. <laughs> uh, thanks for being on the show and thanks for your continuing good work. And that's all the time we have this week. Tune in next week for another exciting edition of Unite, i.e. Radio. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you've heard my show, The Main Event, or read my book, Experience Matters, Here's Mine, then you know that I think like you do, and that's what you want when you're looking for someone to advise you on real estate financing. Whether you're thinking of financing a piece of property you'd like to own, or refinancing a piece of property you already own, or if you or your spouse are over 62 and you'd like to find out more about that reverse mortgage thing that everyone is talking about, and whether that property is in California or another state where you'd like to go to escape California, I can help you find the solution that's right for you and in step with your short-term and long-term plans. Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free area code 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman and MLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation and MLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590, the answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.